0: A very good afternoon to all, 1 p.m. on the East Coast, 10 a.m. on the West Coast, and something in between, depending on what flyover state you're in. Guy Adami, Dan Nathan, Market Call. Today's Market Call, Dan, brought to you by SoFi. Get your money right, all in one app. And of course, FactSet, financial data and analytics, powered by tomorrow. Literally in seconds, Elizabeth Young from the aforementioned SoFi will be joining us from parts unknown, yeah. and of course, if it's Thursday, Dan,
1: it's what? It's Butters Guy. When you said the aforementioned, uh-huh I thought you were going to say Liz Young from the aforementioned flyover states. That's that's where I well, thought we
0: were going. Over that. You know, and, and she the is question, from whiskey. Like a, like say. sort
1: of derogatory moniker if you're like an east coaster yeah it is derogatory
0: there's no you know it's interesting and of course now we're getting off the rails right at the top of the show but joey Votto of the cincinnati reds borderline hall of famer you should check it out on the google machine he went after chris mad dog russo for effectively doing what i'm doing now for being an east coast snob yeah, I'm really not paying attention to so some of these small
1: mid-market well, teams. Listen for anybody in the comments who wants to call a guy an East Coast snob, come at me. It's not well. It's important. He's he's he also lives in New Jersey, so um, you know, there well, you what go. What is that? That's East, I mean, that's sounds... not. Well, I know, but now now I've pissed off the Jersey people. You know what oh, I mean? And nice. and just you know, I spent a good part of my childhood in Middletown, New Jersey, so, so I, think I have Jersey cred. All right, guy, let's do this thing because we are going to get to Liz in two minutes, but I just want to kind of hit. You know, listen. Um earnings we're in the season you know it gets easy to to get in front of earnings and and try to say ah well you know it'd be make sense for like a bunch of these companies to be you know a little bit conservative you think about where the stock market is relative to where stocks were expected to be six to nine months ago ex- relative to where corporate earnings were expected to be when you think about a lot of the forecaster, a lot of the um, strategists out there and what they were thinking for the economy. We just had that GDP print this 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 morning, 2.4%. I mean, things are th- things are coming up okay here. And I think you know if you th- you kind of take a step back and you think about what kind of uh Fed chair Powell, what he communicated yesterday um, versus what we thought a couple – remember a couple meetings ago, we were kind of dumbfounded. We thought he just seemed discombobulated. We thought he didn't have a, a real great handle over just kind of a lot of the questions. He looked like in control yesterday, guy. And, and you know, like, yeah. it, it seems like, you know, they've taken recession off the table, at least as as far as what their base case is. And in the stock market, the economy, things are working here, man. And you know, I I don't know. So I'm just curious your your quick take because we're we're nearly 24 hours from that press conference. Um, What are you thinking?
0: Things are work clearly. Things are working through the lens, at least, of the stock market. I mean, things uh, have almost never been better when you're talking about now at 4,600, within I think 250 or so S and P points from an all-time high. Yeah, I mean, things look great in terms of taking recession off the table. I, You know, their track record of being able to prognosticate is about as good as mine, quite frankly, so I wouldn't put a lot of stock into that. And in terms of his handle on things, I've said this for a while. I love the October uh, 2018 Jerome Powell. I got really disgusted with him uh, from 2019 on, but then he seemed to get religion In November of 2021. And I've said this, you know, I think he's done a masterful job in telegraphing and speaking to the market. And if you look at the market, clearly the market believes that as well. My concern all along continues to be nothing's changed, despite the fact that the market goes up every day. There have to be ramifications for now 525 basis points of hikes that we're clearly not feeling in the stock market. And I think just starting to feel
1: in the economy. Yeah, and I guess the the last thing before we get to Liz here, i just say is that, you know, like, like if, if Jerome Powell, if you liked him in 18, but you didn't like him in 19, the about face, you know, think about really the only major mistake that they made, and I think it's kind of attached at the hip, is just not recognizing soon enough that inflation was going to rip, okay? And using that term transitory. Now, I think you can look back with a CPI that's about to print three, okay, down from nine in June of 2022, that was transitory. It's semantics. It well, just, yeah, I mean well, let's yeah well, I know, okay. And then and then keeping the their the foot on the pedal for too long. Uh, as far as just the kind of, you know, the stimulus that was working its way through the economy. But other than that, if they are able to avoid a recession and the economy gets back on its, you know, I mean, I don't know. Well, maybe, you know, maybe we have somebody smarter than us, guys. Elizabeth Young, but and let's bring her in,
0: but in the, in the great words of Eddie Murphy speaking about transitory in raw, I mean, the only really two things that are permanent in life are luggage and herpes. So, I mean, effectively everything is transitory. But- on that great note, why don't we bring her in, Dan? She, did you catch <laughs> There That shit's forever. You like got a nervous
2: laughter. Yeah. What I else mean, am I supposed to do? Can I tell you do? something?
0: Eddie Murphy, and now we're completely. He could read the phone book, and I would laugh. I think he's one of the funniest people in the history of mankind. The guy is a freaking genius. Dan, back to you.
1: Yeah, well, you know it's funny? And there's this great debate among comics, you know, guy. And I know that you you style yourself as an armchair comic a little bit, but, sure. but like, back in the day, when Eddie Murphy lives and you probably weren't even around, you weren't born yet when he was I mean, doing I those know who st- he is. no when he was doing those stand-ups <laughs> raw and delirious. He was oh, yeah. getting lambasted for his content, for his language, and people were like, "Why can't he be more like Bill Cosby?" Yeah, right? That didn't <laughs> age well. That didn't I'm just saying. That didn't age well. All right, Liz. All
2: right, let's help, focus. Help us, make
1: them, help us make some sense of this. We'd love to get your uh, you know, your take on kind of, you know, report card on Fed Chair Powell, what you think you heard from the presser yesterday. Um, you know, obviously people think that we are, you know, we're close to being done on, on the on the rate hiking cycle here. And all the stuff that is raging today are the sorts of things that you would expect. And um, in, in, from I guess, From a Fed that is going to be lowering rates next rather than raising them?
2: Yeah, well, I think it's pretty obvious that we're closer to the end than the beginning. And and now, honestly, I mean, I, I think I've said this a few times over the last couple of weeks. I don't think another 25 basis points makes any difference anymore. I don't think the move yesterday made a difference. It's the messaging. And I struggled, honestly, I struggled to find anything all that interesting or enlightening out of the messaging yesterday, particularly because, number one, the vote, again, was unanimous. So there were no dissenters, which is kind of a boring vote to have. And number two, the market had literally priced in a 99.2% chance of a 25 basis point hike before the meeting. So none of it was really a surprise. The part that I guess felt a little bit different to me was he kept repeating himself. Every time somebody would ask a question, he'd repeat himself and say, we're going to take this meeting by meeting. He basically refused to give any forward looking statements, which I think sends the message that they don't know what's going to happen and he also outlined that there were some members that said yes they saw cuts at some point next year but still we're not sure that's a year out in the future we have to wait and see how this all plays out in the next few months the other thing that we should all keep in mind is that they have a built-in pause now. We don't have another meeting until mm-hmm. September 20th. So they don't even have to say that they're pausing. They don't have to say that they're going every other month. That's just how it's going to happen. They don't even have to tell us anything again until two months from now. So we've got a built-in time frame where we're going to get two more CPI reads. We're going to get PCE. We're going to get a bunch of other stuff. Earnings season will be over. Summer will be over. We'll get back into the fall. People will go back to work and start trading. And I think there's a lot of data to be had there. The last thing I will say about the timing of this is that a lot of times what you hear about the range of when those long and variable legs start to kick in is about 12 to 18 months after the hiking cycle began. We're right in that window right now. That September meeting, Is going to be almost exactly 18 months after the hiking cycle began so here's the thing and i think mike wilson said this on one of your podcasts recently something like if it doesn't happen in fall it might not Mm -hmm. happen Mm -hmm. right and i think that's part of why i would agree with that he was talking about earnings in particular but i would agree with that if it doesn't start to really rear its ugly head in fall it may not rear its ugly head and i would expect the next thing to be a credit event
0: I agree with that. And you know this is something we've talked about. More and more people are seemingly writing about it. I see it on Twitter. I see it in publications. This potential, re- not potential, I mean, the reacceleration of some of these inflationary inputs that are happening right before our very eyes. So you can say that they're winning the battle and they clearly don't want to take a victory lap, nor should they. But things are going to get more difficult just in terms of the comps, the overalls, the year over year type of stuff especially since June of last year now is in the rearview mirror and under the surface and we talked about this I think yesterday Dan you know gasoline prices higher i mean you look at some of these inputs in the commodity world grains trading higher again so very quietly things are seemingly reaccelerating probably at the worst possible time but you know, the market needs to figure that out for itself, Dan.
1: Yeah. So and, and Liz, maybe you can help us with this. You know, you just mentioned the fact that we're not going to have another meeting by the Fed um, until September. We do have that kind of th- that Kansas City Fed Jackson Hole event. And obviously, the Fed has signaled on many occasions over the last, call it 10 or 15 years, some sort of like positional shift uh, the way they think about whatever the, the prior period was and that <clears> thinking <throat> And it really might present a good opportunity for them to maybe – guy. it's maybe not taking a victory lap on inflation, but maybe suggesting that how the economy has changed because of the pandemic, some of the things that they got wrong, they might be able to actually do a little bit of a mea culpa. And and, and Fed Chair Powell has done that about 2021, and they're missing of the inflation and the way in which it went up. So, Liz, I wonder – does it set the stage for them to maybe take their foot off the pedal of that 2% downside target and maybe suggest that inflation might be higher and rates might be higher and we know what that means for real rates. I mean, like, so so maybe that is how they kind of get an off-ramp from all those things that we are so conditioned for, that 2% downside target, and maybe that the idea that, you know, rates are going to just settle at a higher level here because inflation is going to be structurally higher going forward.
2: Yeah, I think, I, look, I think it's possible that they do come off of that target at some point. I think Jackson Hole's probably a little soon for that because they're still not sold that they've gotten their arms around it, especially if we start to see inflation tick back up in any of these readings because of the commodity prices. I don't think that's the point when they should say, you know what, we'll just raise the target and everything's going to be okay. Um, But they may have to do that at some point later in the year. Right now, if you look at projections. Inflation isn't expected to get to target until I think late spring of 2024. So they may have to be satisfied, so to speak. And they can send that message a number of different ways, though. They can send the message that, okay, let's say inflation is at somewhere in the high twos. If they pause for more than one month in a row, they're kind of signaling that they're satisfied or if they stop entirely, they're signaling that they're satisfied. And I don't know that you know, necessarily changing the semantics of it and saying, all right, from, we'll take it from two to 2.5 uh, is gonna do it. But the thing that he continues to point out is that they know that the result of tightening is usually uh, lending standards that get tougher, less capital available, that hasn't entirely shown up yet. It's starting to show up in the data. I think the question now is whether or not it actually inflicts a ton of pain. The other thing that is interesting to me, and this is more market related, Dan, you're going to love this one because it's about Mm. the Dow, but these headlines, the headlines that are happening yesterday and today, we've got yesterday uh, headlines about it being the 13th straight up day for the Dow. That hasn't happened since January of 1987. Longest streak ever, winning streak ever for the Dow was in June of 1987, 14 straight up days. And it's almost as if we're celebrating that. But I think we forgot what happened on October 19th Mm -hmm. of 1987, which was the biggest one-day drop in the stock market ever. So we have to be careful and and look at just what happened that year. The the S&P was up 32%, I believe, through the end of July 1987. And then fall happened and it finished the year up 2%. so. This euphoria and in the, the Fed saying what it did doesn't mean problem solved. Everybody off to the races. I think we have to be really careful here with that.
1: Well, Liz, you know, you know what else happened in October of 1987? A young man with a great head of hair walked onto a trading desk. I think it was like <laughs> October 18th, 1987, <laughs> on Wall well, Street. That would have been a
2: Sunday. It so,
1: was that? No. All right. Well, then I, then- I
0: started. I mean, oh. I mean, if you want to get down to brass tacks, it was '86. By the way, oh, I don't really? know. Yeah. I don't know if, if Amanda has that thing they posted from my high school yesterday. Oh. That's some badass shit. Maybe we'll save that. Oh, look at that. Elizabeth, oh, take a look at that. Oh my god. Look at that.
1: What you is know, that? Guy, you still where s- are they now? You still uh, where are they now? You still sit like that. This is like 50 years later. So i would say
0: I'll tell you exactly when that was. That's at halftime. I'm sitting down. I'm fucking rip shit pissed off because we're getting our ass kicked. I feel like I'm the only person out there doing anything i think i just sort of laid into everybody and i'm just sort of contemplating life right there yeah interesting you still, right? you
1: still sit like that every once in a while with your, yeah. your arms Sitting like that
0: now nothing right. changes the only thing changes is the hair
1: so you, so you just said you rip shit and, and i think liz when she was coming up with with the title for her note um which Love we just spent note, some time way. talking about the fed and the hike and the five and a half percent upper bound of the fed funds the highest in 22 years but liz you are back in the hike life again, <laughs> um, and, and 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 again. I mean, guy, you should just do that move right now. All right, so I mean, that is put your. Well,
0: that yeah. is so good. I mean, it's one of two things. She's either referencing again her Midwest roots, and that's oh. obviously a play on the beer ad, or she's a huge fan of Steve Winwood, who in 1987 released back in the High Life. Now, Steve Winwood, of course, Traffic low spark of high heel boys, but I digress, Dan, back to you.
1: Yeah. Liz, give it to us here a little bit. Cause I I think what's interesting in your note and you just went through, you know, kind of some of the kind of historical aspects of where they went to and everything like that. But you wanted to take a look at at consumer confidence and the stock market and kind of what's driving at least some of the enthusiasm about stocks. Because you just heard Guy before you came on saying that through the lens of the stock market, everything seems really rosy. And some of the consumer readings, I mean, we've been talking about savings rate and and, and, and consumer credit and all that sort of stuff. But that doesn't seem to be feeding its way into the stock market right now at all.
2: No. um, And by the way, I do like Steve Winwood. Yeah. And I do like Miller High Life. So there, champagne There you go. I, I spent a lot of college years drinking Miller High Life. My grandpa actually used to drink it in a can. Of High Life in a can.
0: There's a great Anywho- by the way, Elizabeth, you should watch this movie. I think it might have been European vacation. Um <laughs> but they walk Chevy Chase is in a plane and the stewardess I should, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. The the flight attendant comes up to him with with a with a can of Coke and she says, "Do you want this in the can?" And he said, I'll drink it right here. <laughs> anyway. Sorry, Dan. Okay. Dan is <laughs> Amanda, Everybody's mad at me now. Sorry. Bring up, I'll bring it back
2: in the hike life. So Please. I already said this. I struggled to find a lot of enlightening statements out of this meeting. But one of the things that we need to highlight is that the Fed funds rate is at a 22-year high. And that's a pretty big deal. Later in the piece, this is more about consumer confidence and the market, the reason I put that in there is because it's all connected. And I think the temptation right now is to believe that the consumer is strong of their own devices. (laughs) The consumer, I think, is strong because the market has gone up and you've got the wealth effect and you've got people feeling like prices are falling and wealth is rising. So they feel good. Sentiment follows the stock market. And it also drives the housing market. So we had a little lull in housing activity. We thought maybe that affordability was finally, you know, taking its bite. And then home prices started to go up again. I think it's no coincidence that home prices started to go up again as the stock market went up again and as consumer sentiment went up again. So in reality, I mean, you can look at GDP growth and that has stayed strong, but that's based on the consumer as well. So as long as the consumer feels good, the consumer continues to spend. With rates at this level, look, I'm all for it. If they have managed to pull this off for the first time in history, I'm Mm -hmm. all for it. And it's possible that they have. In the beginning of this hiking cycle, I said to my analyst a couple of times, like what if they pull this off? It's hard for me to understand how we would get out of some of these market messes without pain, but it's possible that they pull it off without Armageddon, right? It doesn't have to end in tears, but I do think that there has to be some kind of crunch to get demand back down. So if you look at what's happening in the market and with consumer sentiment and with housing, I think it's all connected. I think that things are going well right now as coincident indicators, and that is true. And as long as the consumer is happy, the US economy is happy. I've said this many times. There is no such thing as an economic expansion without the consumer. So if the consumer is fine, we're fine. But if things change, everything changes, right? Yeah, I I agree with everything you just said.
0: And I'll say this, and I think you agree with it. I think so much of this, like let's just talk about the last three weeks of this market rally and some individual names. So much of it seemingly predicated, forget about what's happening this year. I think there's this misguided belief, I'm choosing that word, that in the beginning of next year, like early next year, January, February, we're actually going to be in a rate cutting cycle. So people are totally looking past what you're talking about and saying, you know what, we want to be ahead of these rate cuts because if we wait, it's going to be too late. And that to me is what's going on here. The problem is, as I said earlier, inflation indications are starting to reaccelerate. So there's no freaking way they're going to be able to lower rates. And if they do lower rates, It's because something probably broke. Again, that's just the way I look at it. I'm not saying I'm right, but that's just the way I look at these things, Elizabeth. Yeah, Yeah,
2: and, and I agree with that. I mean, the point of this is to restrict, right? Policy is supposed to be restrictive. The definition of restrictive is that we put a stranglehold on demand. You put a stranglehold on growth because things got overheated. So you have to see them cool off. And we can celebrate that growth is strong and that the consumer is strong, but then also understand that that means Jerome Powell is going to stand at that podium again and say it's not over yet, which is how I finished that note. He said that yesterday. It's not over yet. Maybe the hikes are done, but the battle is not over yet.
1: Yeah, I'll just say this, and I'm going to push back a little bit on the um, inflation reaccelerating. I mean, if we don't see like meaningful, like maybe just because they've come down so hard, you might see, you know, based on comps and and, and maybe like a pickup in demand. If our economy is not in a recession, I really feel like what's gone on in China, um, you know, this kind of deflationary spiral that they're in. I think we could be in for that again. And I think you got got to go back to pre-pandemic. I mean, we were not worried about inflation. We were worried about deflation. And if this AI stuff is real, I, I, I suspect... It's going to be massively deflationary. And if you want wages to come down because that's the last piece of the puzzle, well, let me tell you something. I, I got a, a chat bot to show you that's supposed to say, you know, yeah. change the world. I, I'm just saying, like that. No, I, and I that understand that it's a,
0: that's a good pushback. And then I'll say, look at this UPS strike that just got resolved. And it got resolved on what? Higher wages. So, I mean, there's. There's a lot, listen, there's a great conversation here without question. You're right, technology on one hand is the most, it's the biggest deflationary force in the history of mankind. And seemingly we're at sort of the forefront of one of the biggest technological changes in our history. So it stands to reason you're going to see that. But the flip side of the coin is there's still inflation in the wrong places. Yes, agreed that it's coming down, but still problematic. So you could be in this sort of, Again, what do we call it? The stagflationary environment. Without question, that could that could clearly happen. Danny Moses
1: talked about that two years ago. Yep. Matter of fact. All right. Before Liz, you get out of here. We of course want you to opine on our main man Butters. That would be John Butters. He's the senior earnings insight analyst over there at FactSet. He drops his blog on Friday mornings. We get a preview it on Market Call on Thursdays here, and this is actually pretty timely, guys, because. He's talking about basically overseas exposure by large U.S. multinationals that make up a big part of S&P 500 earnings. We know that the dollar, and that's another one, that dollar had a sneaky move today, guys. Do You see this one? It was down. Mm-hmm. It looked like it was kind of headed back towards that kind of 100 level in the Dixie. And it had about about face and it's trading up think like 1% off the lows. And I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but for, for those of you who like track currencies, that's, that's a pretty uh, big intraday move. But let's talk about this because this is one thing. And, Guy, we talked about it with Mike Wilson on Friday. Liz, you, Guy, and I talked about it last week. This move in the dollar, we're talking about heading into Q2 earnings season, pretty good for U.S. multinationals, if you think about it, because the dollar has been coming down now um, for months here. That's this kind of this intraday reversal if they want to throw a one-year chart of of this Dixie. It's down, uh, you know, 14% off of those um, highs just a year ago or so. All right, let's get the butters here. S&P 500 companies with more international revenue exposure are reporting lower year-over-year earnings than S&P 500 companies with domestic revenue exposure in Q2. Companies with more than 50% international exposure are reporting a decline in earnings of 21.7% for Q2. The healthcare and energy sectors are the top drivers of the Larger earnings decreases for companies with more international exposure within these two sectors. Five companies are leading the decline. Mm -hmm. Merck, Exxon, Pfizer, Chevron, and Moderna. Excluding these five companies, companies with more than 50% international exposure would be reporting a decrease of earnings of just 2.1%. Guy, give it to me. Two words. Two
0: words for you. Europe, China. Those are the two words for you. I mean, that's it in a nutshell. So – does it make sense? Through that lens, it absolutely makes sense. Elizabeth talks about this all the time. The inflation problem in Europe is greater than the problem they have with their economy. So their inflation problem is bigger than ours. I get it. And they're choosing to com- continue to combat it in the form of interest rate hikes, which obviously is slowing down their economy. And you talk about China all the time. Clearly, a slowdown down there. So you add those two things together. By the way, Europe, if you if you add the eurozone together as uh, one country, that's the biggest economy in the world with probably 100 million more people than we have. So when people talk about Europe saying it's not a big deal in the collective, it's a very big deal. And obviously we know about China. So I look at Butter's work and say those two words are for, uh, you know, at the forefront of what's going on.
2: Well, if I remember correctly, on the other side of this, when the dollar was strengthening, we thought that it should have been a headwind for multinationals, and the opposite occurred. So for this to be the story now, where the dollar is weakening, it should be a tailwind, and this is occurring, almost consistent with the fact that this relationship isn't working as we would expect it to, and I think Guy's point is well taken. I'll add to that by saying it would work if the European consumer and the Chinese consumer was as robust and spending as much as we would expect them to. Neither of them are, and that's where we are. So as China reopened, they didn't give us the boost that anybody wanted or expected them to. And Europe, again, facing a lot of problems on their own over there. Luxury brands are down. There's a lot to be said for the European consumer just kind of waiting and not spending quite as much as they used to. So I don't think that the dollar is a direct relationship here anymore with multinationals. We have to take this... Through the lens of the global consumer.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, Liz, uh, we appreciate your time. We appreciate your efforts. Um, we appreciate your efforts to actually tweet Guy Dami every Thursday. We'll, lo- I, I can I say tell I tell
0: something? I get. I mean, I start getting excited on like Friday. Yeah. <laughs> Just in anticipation. It's fantastic. And you know, if I, if I insulted anybody on the flyover state, tough shit. Back <laughs> to you, Dan. All right, people. <laughs> Liz. By the way. Brewers playing better baseball right now. You know, they had a little rough patch, but they're starting to get it. And this is the time of the season. You want to sort of get your shit together. Uh, I will tell you, as you know, the Dan knows this as well. We have the trade deadline fast approaching. I believe that's on Tuesday of next week. So we'll see if the Brewers make some moves. They made some moves last year. I think they're going to try to fortify the front end of that rotation, but a lot of teams want to do that, Dan, as you know, so it's going to be difficult, but that's why, listen, Baseball in August, what could be better? Unless you're a denizen of Shea, and they suck. Back to you, Dan.
1: All right, Liz. Thanks a lot. Enjoy. All right, let's hit a couple things, guys, Dang, before we get so out of here. I mean,
0: I mean, this is a, what do they call it when you break down the fourth wall?
1: What is that called? You break down the fourth wall. Oh. Um, let's talk a little bit. About the s&p 500 yes um carter had a really great note out on worth charting this morning and we had chart carter with us yesterday so we don't get him two days in a row but we can highlight this piece i thought it was interesting he talks about the seven unfilled gaps in the s&p mm-hmm. 500 you see the steepness right of the recent rally since it broke out above 4200 we're at the top end of that, um, it, it, you call it uptrend mm-hmm. um, that, channel. In, that channel, there you go. Thank you. Um, and if you look at that, that's where he puts the arrows in next, right? And you know, he said, this is not random. When we were looking at the Microsoft chat, uh, uh, charts yesterday to the penny, to the penny, if we want to go to the the next chart there, okay? And then if you look at this one, I think this is really interesting. This is where he kind of adds these gaps in here. So, you know, we talked about it with him yesterday. I mean, listen, the healthiest thing, even if you're really bullish, would be some sort of check back, right? Maybe it's back towards that 43.50 level. That was the breakout level from last August of 2022. But at some point... If the market, which has seen a nice rotation, right, into like out of some tech names, like a Microsoft, which is now down, what was it trading at? 315? Now it's at uh, 334 guy. That has found its way into some other parts. If the market, though, doesn't really come in, let's call 3 to 5% or so, it just, I think you were calling it inevitable. Sooner or later, we're going to have everyone heading for the doors at the same time. And then at some, some point, that could get a little nasty.
0: I think so. I agree. And since I'm going through the comments, I mean, Carter's work speaks for itself. And and I'll say, let me be crystal fricking clear in terms of the broader market. And I can only speak for myself for the majority of this year. It's caught me off guard. No question about it. I don't, I'm not interested in what other people are saying. I can only speak for myself, but I'm reading comments, you know, I'm sorry, but all of you are in a bare echo chamber. Okay. I get it. This is sad at this point. You were cheering Mike Wilson last week and he took a 180 degree turn. No, He didn't take a 180 degree turn at all. He actually said, we have been wrong. And by the way, you know, if this continues into the mid to late fall, he'll reassess. But I don't think he thinks anything's necessarily changed other than the fact that the market's gone higher. The market has a way of sort of clouding everything. The market looks great. I totally get it. But the things that we've been talking about have not gone away. All the problems that we've been sorting, highlighting Uh, maybe incorrectly because through the lens of the market, it doesn't seem to care, have not gone away. And to your point, if you continue to see these unabated moves higher, the inevitability of something bad happens only increases.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you know, listen, you can call an echo chamber. We talked to a lot of folks. We incorporate... Um, a we're going to have cor- Tom Lee on the podcast. We are going to have Tom Lee on. We, we have... we Listen, we have bulls on the podcast. Um, but, you know, this is our time. If it's my time and it's your time, Guy, this is market call. And we can, you know, we're not going to... We're not going to just have our opinions kind of flap in the wind as the market changes. And um, and listen, at some point, like we've admitted we're wrong on the broad market. I think we've been right on many other things, on rates, on oil, on uh, the dollar, on on a whole host of other things that are really important inputs. If you're trading, you know, uh, the macro here, Um, I've been wrong on the S&P 500. I've been wrong on the NASDAQ. I've been wrong on some individual names that incorporate, I think, some of the most um, you know exciting um, you know opportunities that many investors have made a lot of money on this year. It happens, man. You can't be right all the time. So um, I hope that doesn't sound defensive because I'm not being defensive no. about it. Um, let's talk. By the way, about-
0: you mentioned the movie. <coughs> excuse me. You mentioned was of course, uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Phoebe Cates. I think it was just her birthday the other day. I mean, yeah ridiculous
1: yeah i'm a big kevin klein fan well
0: they're me. married they've been married for like yeah. you know 30 something years so let, let's talk
1: let's talk about um a, a, a couple single names and then i definitely want to hit the semis because there's some interesting stuff going on and i actually just put a trade on in the sma see that, that tracks it but let, let, let's hit these names first because i i think um this is kind of interesting guy a, a chipotle down nine percent today um and and let's just pull this chart mm-hmm. up. Because, the stock broke out to a new 52-week high. I think it was- All-time well, like, high. Yeah, like, like, so this was its last quarter. And you know Carter is really good at this. Like, I think we were talking about a big gap yesterday in a name, and, and he was saying the, the most likely outcome after a big gap like that is a consolidation. This was exhibit A, right, in and, and Chipotle. Like, this thing consolidated in a pretty tight range above the gap level for three months. And then it always makes sense to take another look Prior to a potential market-moving news event, and so if you were to do that again, I, we, you and I had no view on this. But look at this gap, and it's almost back filling in the entire mm-hmm. thing, and it might get back to support. Talk to me about Chipotle, and then on the same day we have McDonald's, which is you know reported better than expected, and it's trading at the upper end of this yeah. validation over the last few months.
0: So what it's 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 evaluations. So let's just talk about Chipotle real quick. If you could yeah. go back, first of all. Um, You look at this chart, and this has the makings of a bit of an island reversal. All-time high over the course of about two and a half or three months, you have that island. Now you're creating the island based on this gap lower. The level, this 1900-ish level of support makes sense. That was a prior all-time high. But the problem, if there was a problem, is the fact that comps came in light for the first time in quite some time. So the market participants are saying, all right, that's it. The acceleration and growth has stopped. I don't want to be along for the ride at this valuation. So it's sell first, ask questions later. I mean, this is textbook. When a growth stock stops growing, you got to get out. Who's that cat that you cite all the time? The guy with all the rules. Yeah. It's so our friend,
1: Dan Benton, Dan, Dan Benton.
0: Benton. And you know, people say, well, that's about technology stocks. Yes. Except that Chipotle is a bit of a technology stock, believe it or not. Now, Go to McDonald's real quick. It's not the other side of it, but McDonald's still has this sort of stable growth at a more reasonable valuation. So I think to a certain extent, you might've seen a rotation in the two names, out of CMG, potentially into McDonald's.
1: Yeah, no, it's interesting. In, in McDonald's, if you want to just look at that five-year chart, I think we have one here. I mean- this thing, man, is just a rocket ship. I mean, think about it, and it's worked well when inflation was high. It worked well when inflation was coming down. It worked well when the consumer was strapped. It worked well when the consumer savings rate was really high. I mean, the stock has just worked, you know. And and, and again, I'm not. You know, buying a stock like this for a breakout that's had the move that it's had over the last year, but I think that these earnings, you know, and the outlooks that are given might give you, you know, a sense of where a buy point might be for a company that is actually executing well in a difficult environment, and you know, like all that sort of stuff. But I I guess Carter would probably tell you with the Lulu, yeah, it might get back to a level, but do you really want to buy that sort of weakness? Or Chipotle, not Lulu. Um, Do you really want to buy? That sort of weakness. Um, all right, here's one. Let's just finish off with Semi's guy because this is one that you know we've been really focused on for a whole host of reasons this year. Um, you know, Nvidia. I've had a very bad trade. I started shorting it by, via buying puts. This is Postet's gap that it had late May. And let's let's pull up an Nvidia chart. I think everybody can kind of envision the gap that it had. It's gained you know 500000000000 dollars in market cap this year. It's up two hundred and twenty percent. It is. The uh, largest component, which is astounding, of the SMH It's about 20% of the ETF that tracks the semiconductor index. Taiwan semi is about um, 11%. We're going to get Intel after the close. But more importantly, LRCX, LAM Research, if they could pull up the LRCX chart, is trading up 11% or so on its outlook. They're talking about data center for AI. I mean, that's a beautiful breakout. There's no way, guy, to put it. Any other way? Let's pull up an AMAT. This is also a semiconductor equipment maker, um, also breaking out on the, uh, in sympathy with the LRCX. These are pretty powerful moves. Give me a sense of this, guys, because these names have not been talked about the same way as an NVIDIA or an AMD have benefited from the, the GPU sales into ai supercomputers and data centers but they're benefiting right now from the outlooks that they just gave
0: yeah and you know we we've actually talked about Amet on this show lamb research not so much we probably should but you know and if you at a far more reasonable valuation you could own stocks these stocks specifically that you know are far more constructive in sort of the um valuation one but also just sort of the price action as well it's very just very well-defined lower left, upper right type of thing. You have not seen this parabolic move, which is encouraging. Now, I think the jump that people are making today specifically is, okay, what's good for these names is going to be good for NVIDIA, which is why, once again, you're having a big move to the upside in NVIDIA. And again, this is not to knock it. It's got nothing to do with it. It's an important company. The question you have to continue to ask yourself is, you know, at what valuation are things just absurd? And I thought it got there a while ago. It clearly did not. But with each passing day, it gets more and more absurd. So unless you believe they can somehow grow into their uh, multiple, which is probably now close to 60 times forward earnings, or their, you know, uh, price to earn pr- price to revenue, which is somewhere between probably 26 and 27 times. Yeah. You know, you're, you're paying... You're spending a lot for $1 of earnings. Let's put it that way.
1: Well, it's also interesting. You know, Samsung is a 21% customer of, of Lamb Research, okay? A Taiwan Semiconductor, which we know just gave a disappointing outlook, is 11.5% customer. I don't even see um, NVIDIA um, on that. So when, when you think about NVIDIA up, you know, 3.5%, on a $1.1 trillion market cap on the guidance of an equipment maker, you're reading in a lot to a company that's not going to report for about another month or or so. Um, So to me, I I just don't find it that interesting. So I think as we get into Intel's earnings and AMD's and, and ultimately if I look out, I think it's August 23rd, we're Nvidia. I kind of want to take a crack at the SMH here, guy. I'm I'm done with the Nvidia. Um, I, I lost a lot of money doing that, but Let's look at the SMH, okay? Let's look at it. This is a five-year chart right here. You see that consolidation that we're kind of up here, and it's consolidating again. And Carter, I think he said it yesterday, Guy. I mean, listen, it's not a foregone conclusion that this thing is going to make a double top. It could easily break out if these names were to continue to go. Listen, if Intel, which has been an absolute dog, and underperformer for you know years now in the space, let's say they miraculously beat and guide up, this thing's breaking out. But I don't want to play with the idiosyncratic risk of one of the names. So I want to look at the implied volatility, okay, right here in the ETF that tracks the semiconductor index, that's the SMH here. Look at that. The volatility is starting to pick up a little bit. Why? Well, a lot of the components are reporting earnings, right? So we're in earnings season, but generally an ETF is gonna have lower implied volatility, the price of options than they will for a single stock because you don't have that single stock risk that it could gap 10% um, in either direction. So today when the SMH was trading at 160.75 or so, that's just sold off about a dollar since we've been talking here. I bought the August 25th expiration, that is a weekly expiration, 160 put, paying about four dollars and a quarter for that. If you do the math, it's about two and a half percent of the underlying ETF price. I'm going to have lots of these semi earnings. We know that we already have Taiwan semi um, out of the way, but I'm going to catch importantly, the NVIdia earnings report, the week of this expiration. I'm risking that four and a quarter dollars, okay? So that's my max risk on this trade, and I'm defining my risk. And just to be really clear, That's exactly what I was doing with NVIDIA. Yeah, NVIDIA ran $100 in my face. I didn't lose $100. I was actually defining my risk using options. So to me, this trade looks interesting. It breaks even down at 156, or excuse me, 155.75, okay? And I've losses up to four and a quarter uh, between 155.75 and 160 with the max loss above 160. I like the risk reward here. Guy, talk to you about what you think the technical setup is, what the sentiment setup is, because we've had Taiwan Semi, we've had some of the equipment makers. It really is gonna come down to AMD, and NVIDIA, how this trade works out over the next few weeks.
0: Agreed. So let's go back to that double top chart. And again, the longer the duration, the more powerful uh, the chart. And this goes obviously back to the fall of 21. Not surprisingly, by the way, because that's when the Fed started to raise. So we've effectively round tripped this entire thing. So there's your double top in terms of sentiment. Could it be any more bullish out there? I think the answer is no. And in terms of the setup for the trade, Again, it's about risk reward. Uh, You know, we don't know what's going to happen, but you've defined your risk vis-a-vis this option strategy. So if NVIDIA comes out and reports some ridiculous quarter and it goes up another 10%, you'll be out of the trade and you know what your loss is going to be. If AMD somehow mentions AI again another 50 times and goes up 8%, yeah, it's going to be a problem. However, if AMD comes out and has a similar quarter that they had last quarter, by the way, when the stock went down 10% in a straight line back in May after they reported, you're going to start looking good. If NVIDIA just comes in in line and doesn't give another uh, $4 billion guide up from 7 to 11 and things are more in line and they start talking about potentially uh, a slowdown in demand, that type of thing, yeah, you're going to look great. And oh, by the way, God forbid something would happen again between China and Taiwan, which every day seemingly there's another story, You're going to look really good and go back and listen to what Taiwan, if you want to have an exercise, folks, go back and listen to what Taiwan semi said about a week and a half or so ago. I think it's very interesting.
1: Yeah. And I'll just say one last point here before we get out of here, Guy. I mean, I think what happens next is that the stocks have run ahead of right. What like whatever excitement you think that they're going to be able to guide to. And if it doesn't come in higher than what the whispers are, I mean, we are at a point where if we start to kind of start to think about what a de- acceleration looks like from this mini boom that we've had this year at least as far as semis and the pricing and the ordering and the reduction of inventories at other parts right of the of the the semi-complex i really do think that we have the potential for this thing to come in you look at that 200-day moving average all the way down there guy it looks lonely i think we could see probably a move back if i'm right back towards that 140 135 level and this trade would make multiples of what i'm risking but again i like the idea of risking Two and a half percent here a month out with a couple of events and unusually high uh, positive sentiment here. So that's it, Guy Adami.
0: I appreciate that. And let's just, you know, we have people that actually are backing up some of the things we're saying. So this is a new name, George. Welcome. But George Bruton, if I pronounce it right, I, I, incorrectly, I apologize. Guys, a little 411 for you. A buddy of mine came over yesterday as a CEO of a large West Coast lending company for small businesses, growth payroll equipment, did around $30 million a month in loans, has not hit key revenue targets all the way back from the fourth quarter, has cut 50% of the team, they're doing nothing in revenue, small businesses, he said, are scared, no one is doing anything. So, obviously, listen, completely anecdotal, I get it, totally understand, but that actually sort of dovetails nicely with some of the things we've been saying about these small banks. And in the other comment, somebody was saying we had a nice call in the KRE. Yeah, we actually have had a decent call. We said, again, in the absence of bad news, this is going to continue to grind higher. I think it was around 37 or 38 when we started saying that. I think it traded up to 48 or something today-ish. And people are asking me, you know, where can it go? Well, again, in the absence of bad news, it could probably get up to 57 But again, think about what George just said and start to connect in the dots. And now at this point, I think it's a game of musical chairs, Dan.
1: Yeah, I just heard that echo in our echo chamber, Guy. Uh, I'm just kidding you there, buddy. That was a good one. Um, I appreciate that uh, commentary. All right, I think that's it. On a Thursday, we went late here. We got a lot. We had Liz, guys got us all tuned up. We got Butters just bringing the heat. We had a little options trade here in the SMH. Um, I think we're we're doing it here.
0: Yeah, and in and, and a few minutes, we're going to sit down with Danny Moses, a big short fame. We're going to do our podcast, which drops on Fridays. By the way, you can get that at your what, Dan? Favorite podcast store. I I have many, actually. It's unfortunate. I probably got to whittle it down now to just a single podcast store. But that's, you know, that's what you do. Why why go to all the stores when you just get it at one? I mean, that's what I'm going to do. But I want to thank Elizabeth Young for joining us. Obviously, butters. It ain't margarine. It's butters. (laughs) Bitch. I want to thank the audience. I want to thank the crack staff. By the way, before we get out of here, before we 5,000, I think today is Millie's last day. Is that yeah. true?
1: Our fab intern Millie from from Georgetown. You're Georgetown Almighty. University. She You're, will be a senior Almighty. at
0: Georgetown. She's been Junior. great. And maybe Kylie might be watching too. I mean, she's I don't know where she is, but she'll be. Uh, she's gonna. She's a Yalie. Her sister's at Georgetown. Clearly, uh, Kylie didn't get into Georgetown. It's unfortunate for her. But that's it. <laughs> uh, we'll see you. When will we uh, today's Thursday? We're no, not we're see Monday, listen,
1: Monday we're gonna be on yeah, XR radio show. XR business radio one thirty two at noon, 844-942-7868. Hey, listen, call in, guys. We're there, we're yeah. ready. Call us calls. in real life. We had a lot IRL. of calls. We had a lot of calls uh that we didn't get to on Monday, but we're gonna we're we're starting to take notice of who's calling in and we want to get new people. So give us a call on Monday between noon and one o'clock. Uh that'll be great. And we'll see you back here on Tuesday.
0: Later.